This section has a fair amount of mathematical manipulation that you just have to work through. But even after you've done that, it's somewhat easy to lose sight of the meaning of the result. So I'll just say a few words about the D'Alembertian solution to the classical wave equation and why it's worth understanding that solution. As you've seen if you've read this section, the D'Alembertian approach starts with a change of variables from x and v and t to xi and eta, where xi is x minus vt and eta is x plus vt. When you write the classical wave equation using these variables, after a bit of manipulation that's shown in the text, you end up with the wave equation that is equation 3.5. That doesn't look very understandable. But the solutions to this equation, which are shown in 3.9 in terms of xi and eta, or equation 3.10 in terms of x, v, and t, you begin to see something of physical significance. What is that? Well, if you were tracking the discussion in chapter 1 of the difference between a function of x plus vt and a function of x minus vt, you'll realize that these two functions, f and g, represent waves traveling in opposite directions, one towards plus x, one towards minus x. So this general solution to the classical wave equation says that any wave can be decomposed into wave components traveling in different directions. You may look at this solution and say, okay, but what are the functions f and g actually look like? And to know that, you need more information. Specifically, you need boundary conditions, and those are described in section 3.2. But the last portion of this section shows an example of the wave that results if you combine two identical waves traveling in opposite directions. And by identical, we mean same amplitude, same speed, and therefore same wave number, same angular frequency. You can see the result of combining those two waves in figure 3.1. Notice that the two traveling waves, one towards plus x, one towards minus x, add up to give a standing wave. This is not a propagating wave. If you look at the equation for this wave, you'll see that it has a sine kx term and a cosine omega t term, but it doesn't have kx and omega t in the same term. So this is not a propagating wave. Even though it's made of two propagating waves, this is a standing wave. And if you've ever taken a basic physics class, you probably have seen these. You know that this wave oscillates in place, if you will, where some points have zero amplitude, those are called nodes, and others have large amplitude. The regions of maximum disturbance are called anti-nodes. Figure 3.1 shows this wave over five times in the first half period, where capital T is the period, and we show the wave at time equals zero, a sixth of the period, a quarter of the period, a third of the period, and a half period, where the regions of maximum disturbance have gone from positive 2A to negative 2A. How might you get two identical waves propagating in opposite directions? One way would be to have a perfect barrier that is a 100% reflection, and with no attenuation in either direction, you can have identical waves propagating in opposite directions, and what they turn into is a standing wave like this. Later sections of this chapter will have more about standing waves, and the next section is all about the boundary conditions that determine what kind of waves satisfy the wave equation.